This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Advent. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the gathering of your people that we can come together and be reminded that we have a God who is real and we have Christ who saves. Pray God this morning that you open up our ears that we may hear. Give us a mind that we can engage with your truth. Give us a heart that can respond and give us the strength that can live out your will. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Now it would be great if you keep the, the Bible open or your survival kit open. Um, and uh, one thing we encourage is to, to get your hands going, to kind of circle, to write uh, on, on the passage as you're looking at so that it will become yours even as you uh, flip to another Bible because that is the passage that you have engaged with. But this morning, let me, want to, let me begin our Christmas kind of sermon series with this um, passage from Luke chapter 1. Now, there are a few occasions recorded in the Bible where heaven and earth actually meet by the intervention of angelic beings. There are a few occasions in the Bible, but of all the records of angelic announcement of the appearance of angels, none have ever come close to the birth at Christmas where humanity becomes divided into two parts, before Christmas and after Christmas. You know, centuries later, you start to have this, um, this kind of um, um, understanding our, our years and everything using BC, right, called before Christ, or AD, which, which, is, which doesn't mean after death. Uh, it's a Latin word means anno, uh, anno domini, which is uh, the phrase for in the year of the Lord, or the, the year when Christ appeared. In fact, just before today's passage, I want to draw a backdrop for you that in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25, uh, it writes about how heaven already started to break into earth with the appearance of an angel by the name Gabriel. Gabriel appeared to an old man by the name Zechariah. An angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah that his old wife, barren wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to a son, a great son, and an old age. This was a unique announcement because the angel Gabriel appeared in the most holy place of the Jews, in Jerusalem, in the most holy place in Jerusalem, in the temple. And while Zechariah was chosen as the priest to burn the incense, that the angel announced that you will have a son. In fact, your wife, who is a descendant of the very first priest of the Jewish people from the line of Aaron, she will bear a son, the greatest messenger for God. The son will be called John. He will have God's spirit in him before birth, and he will go out into the world in the power of the great Elijah. So that is, that is the backdrop before today's passage. But that great announcement about the birth of John was merely paving the way for the birth that we are about to hear today and also on Christmas itself. So this birth of John prepares the birth and the annunciation of the birth of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. So with that, let me look, I invite you to dig into today's passage with me as we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 
26 to 27. In fact, let me read these two verses for us. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The, virgin, the virgin's name was Mary. So now what happens after Gabriel, angel Gabriel, I think I have a map up there. Um, do I have a map? Okay, anyway, uh, uh, there you go. This is from Google Maps, so it can't be wrong, right? <laughs> after angel Gabriel made his appearance in the holy city of Jerusalem, God now sent him to Nazareth, a small, spiritually unimportant town in the place of Galilee. And the task of the angel Gabriel was to bring a great news to a young virgin, a teenage girl, who was pledged to be married to a carpenter by the name Joseph, a descendant of David. And that young girl's name was Mary. Now, from appearing to a very old lady, Elizabeth, Gabriel um, now moves ahead to appear to a very young girl. Now, according to historians, um, a young virgin could be betrothed as early as about 12 years old, and after a year, she would get married. So we don't really know how old Mary was, but she was um, probably quite young. Um, it could be more than 12, but um, she's probably a teenager. And it suffice to see that um, it was to this young um, girl that Gabriel appeared. Now, the angel Gabriel went to Mary and said this in verse 28, 29. Greetings to you, or hail Mary, you who are highly favored. This, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly perplexed or troubled at his words and, he want, and she wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. It was an unusual, troubling or perplexing greeting in many aspects. Because first of all, Mary was a very young common girl and would be the last to expect the appearance of any angelic beings to her. And she couldn't understand why she was addressed by the angel in such an exalted way. And second thing is, this greeting is a very loaded greeting. Mary was greeted by an angel to be one that she is one highly favored by God. What does that even mean to a young girl from Nazareth to be highly exalted? You know, the frightening sight of a young common girl from Nazareth to see an angel is matched further on by amazing explanation of unprecedented blessing she was about to receive that no one has received and no one will ever receive. And look at verse 30. This is the angel's words to her. The angel said to, to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. But what does that mean for Mary? Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. So this is the news. Mary will give birth to a son. He will be called Jesus, meaning God is salvation. It's a very different news to the birth of John for, for Zechariah and Elizabeth because John was the messenger of the Lord. But here Mary is going to give birth to the Lord himself. In fact, verse 20, 32, 33, the angel goes on. He will be great 
and will be called the son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign for he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this son Mary will soon give birth to will be recognized as the son of God himself. He will be given the right to sit on the kingly throne of David to rule over God's people. This was the promise that God has given a thousand years ago to King David, that out of the line of David will come a king that will sit on the throne forever. And now this child, whom Mary will deliver, will be that king forever. And what Mary is hearing at the time is that she will soon be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah that all of God's people have been waiting for centuries and centuries and centuries. Now, what do all this mean to Mary when she heard this? It's actually quite hard to imagine, isn't it? Uh, If we even try to attempt to put ourselves in the head, it's going to be uh, great difficulties. We can only one we we can only wonder what actually goes through Mary's mind. But Mary, she got the message the angel was saying that she would give birth to the one all the people have been waiting for. But then, as she reflects on it, she st- another thing starts to be clear to Mary that the child will actually not be by natural birth. The child will not come from her betrothed. The child will not be from her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. And with that, she said, verse 32, um, saying, how, how can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now, Mary's question is not actually a question of doubt of Gabriel's words, for the angel did not rebuke her. But previously, when Zechariah asked, how can it be, he was struck mute for, for nine months. So, so what Mary's saying is not a doubt of words, but her question was one, trying to grapple with the supernatural, right? That what is going to happen is surpass what is naturally possible. Well, Mary knew what childbirth is. She knew how children are born. And she knew perfectly that she had never been with a man. Yet Mary knew that it, what the angel was saying was that she would be pregnant before she would be married. How would this biologically impossible birth actually happen? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel's answer is this, verse 35, look at it with me. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Just as it was Impossible for Mary to fully comprehend this. Perhaps it would be for us too. Because this pregnancy will happen when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. In fact, the power of God will overshadow her. It, it, in, as you read through um, writings of this, there is no, there's no commentaries that will ever say that there's any sexual overtone to this. Actually, there is no sexual overtone to this. Um, description of what would happen to Mary is totally not like how the Romans or the pagans of the first century would view because they have their you know, Roman myths and everything where gods can um, have union with, with men, women and have demigods and all kinds of things that 
know, you, you read about in all this mythology. But what Gabriel says has nothing to do with that. His was to explain that it's by divine power that the Messiah himself will actually be born. Now, it will always be hard to fully comprehend. In fact, how the Creator God himself will enter the, the womb of a young, common girl of Nazareth to be born into the world that he created so that he can save his own world. I think that is where it lies the difference between the wisdom of God and the knowledge of humanity. Here lies the, the limitation of humanity that we can never fully understand or discover God or God's will apart from it being revealed to us. That the knowledge of God is always revealed from heaven down and is never discovered from downwards up. And as Gabriel says this, what we are reminded is that the knowledge of God is always a revelation, not a discovery. And that's the difference between what is supernatural and what science. Because one is a revelation, the other one is a mere discovery of what God has placed in us. So as Mary pondered over the words of angel Gabriel, Gabriel spoke again and he provides Mary with a miracle she didn't ask for as evidence that his message is true and to ensure that Mary does not get so overwhelmed she thought it was just kind of a dream. And this is what um, Gabriel said to Mary as evidence and a miracle to show her. Look at verse 36. Gabriel said, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So while Gabriel revealed that you know, Elizabeth was unable to conceive, was pregnant, is he's also revealing that this is a testimony that supernatural birth can happen. And you will witness it, Mary, before yours uh, comes to the earth. I mean, comes out to the world. You know, as I, as I read these few verses myself, I was just amazed how everything actually kind of fit together in this short passage. How God had planned all along to create, to, sh- to bring in an impossible birth of a barren old woman to pave the way for an even greater impossible birth by a virgin. Can you see that this, both are impossible, but God has paved the way for the first impossible birth to happen. And Israel will know that this can happen because the whole of Israel hinges on the impossible birth that Abraham and Sarah had when they were beyond childbearing age. And so when this birth of this very old Elizabeth and Zechariah happens, it's a miracle that reminds them that God brings birth out of impossibility. It was just a preparation when God says, and I will bring about the birth from a virgin. So as you look at this, imagine how God has placed all this so that the world can see that He is God and we are not. You know, I could almost imagine that the angelic beings, as as the world marvels at the birth of John from Elizabeth, the angelic being will just smile and look at Virgin Mary and say, wait till you see this happens. Because the angels themselves can't keep their mouth shut. 
But we'll just have to hold on because that will be chapter 2 of Luke and that will be next Sunday. But for now, let's come back to verse 38. For when angel Gabriel finished his annunciation, Mary said the most amazing words that all Christians after her must learn to say. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your words May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, dear friends, as the focus of verses 25 to 38 is kind of primarily on the birth of Jesus and all that surrounds him, yet it will be a pity for us not to reflect on Mary's response, which is one that is very, very pleasing to the Lord. You know, there was that earlier interaction when Gabriel made an announcement to Zechariah and said, can't be true. And he was struck down. Here when angel Gabriel speaks, not to a great priest, but to a common girl, he says, Lord, may your will be done on me. And when Mary says that, it carries an amazing cost to accept that. Because for Mary, by accepting this, young Mary is preparing herself to face a world that would not think highly of her or the birth of her child. In fact, an old godly man by the name Simeon will appear in chapter 2 later on and will tell her that because of the birth of Jesus, that you, Mary, your own soul, will be pierced by the sword. By you saying, may your will be done, you are preparing yourself to be pierced because of your son. But Mary replied, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. So Mary models to us a godly and humble heart that loves God. Though young, Mary stands as a giant to challenge all who wants to follow her son and all who claims that they love God. Dear friends, have you ever said these words of Mary? Have you ever said to God, God, I am your servant, may it be to me as you have said. Now these words are words of people who are willing to receive God's blessing, even if the world thinks that it is unattractive to them at all. No, the question is, how does this willingness actually look like in practice? No, as we live our lives and as we face all the good and kind of bad things that we, that we face, we no longer rely on just our emotions or our preferences to make decisions. We, we start to rely on the Bible. We start to rely on God's Word. And sometimes it might even mean that by obeying God's word, things can really go down south. That is, we may really suffer, we may lose friends, we may lose job opportunities, we may lose comfort, we may even lose our lives. Yet we must still believe that God is still good in His will in every situation. So regardless of situation, if we desire to please God, that Mary explain it to us by showing it herself. A humble obedience when she said, I am the Lord's servant, may it, to be, may it be to me as you have said. Would that be what we do in our circumstances? And as we have pause here for a short moment, that we may learn from Mary and be willing servants of God. But that's where I stop because we must move on because Mary has already packed her back. She heard the message, she packed her back and is hurrying to visit her relative, Elizabeth the barren, or should we call her Elizabeth the pregnant. So look at, look at verse 39 to verse 
40 with me. At the time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now as the words of the angel Gabriel rang in Mary's ears, she hurriedly packed her bag for a long travel from home. She said goodbye to her parents and began her journey. What she said to her parents, no one knew because Luke did not record. But off she went. From Nazareth, she hurried to the town of the hill country of Judea. If you see the map, uh, it's about 70 to 100 miles. Easily a few days of walking for this teenage girl. But Mary was not going to sit at home and wait. She needs to see Elizabeth the Grey, to seek counsel, to congratulate her, and to live with her for a short while. Because who else can understand what she has just gone through? Who else would believe that she has just met Angel Gabriel? But Elizabeth and Zechariah would. So as Mary arrived unannounced at Zechariah's home, she greeted the surprise Elizabeth, and it's customary the younger one will pay respect to the older one. That's customary even now, isn't it? But what comes next in the story, in the history, is totally uncustomary because Elizabeth is going to turn the whole greeting around and she is going to greet Mary. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And John, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, he was destined to be forerunner of Jesus, the Son of God. He, he decides to start work early. Right? He, he knew, he heard Mary's voice, he knew the Lord himself had arrived. And so he gave his mother a mighty kick. Now for those of you who have already been mothers, you, you know how babies leap. Oh, or those, or one who is going to have a baby soon, or two who is going to have babies soon. You know, you know how it's like. But for us men or dads or those who have not, because we kind of just wonder what it means for a baby to kick. But the baby leaped enough that Mary, um, that Elizabeth uh, had to proclaim the great news that the leap was so great that Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she made this very uncustomary greeting to young teenage girl Mary. Verse 42. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Oh, you could have translated, she just shouted. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth, Elizabeth was more dignified than the young Mary humbled herself before Mary and called her the most blessed among women. And she submitted herself to the unborn baby, calling the unnoticeable baby Lord. You can imagine, actually, Mary is probably just a few days pregnant. And before she could even say anything or figure out what to say to Elizabeth, Elizabeth had already proclaimed that she is the most blessed of all women and the baby she has is the Lord of all. Now surely God alone must know how Elizabeth's divinely proclaimed words would bring comfort to Mary, that newly pregnant mom. No, it's hard to fully trace the emotions going through the verses, but how comforting these words must be 
to young Mary, who is now pregnant as a virgin, who will soon be married to a very godly man who may never fully understand what had happened to her. But there, the six-month-old, a six-month pregnant Elizabeth, the very old, stood as a pillar of comfort and evidence of miracle, a prophetess with utterance of blessing on Mary was there. Such was God's provision and affirmation of what He had said through angel Gabriel. And if we skip over a few verses to the last verse of today, we'll read in verse 56 that Mary then stayed with Elizabeth for about three months before she heads home. Now, whether Mary was there when Elizabeth delivered John, we do not know, but the three months with Elizabeth was God's care for Mary because it must have meant more to Mary than we have recorded here of how the Lord provides for her. Even as her pregnancy was slowly show and become obvious and the only world she knew would never look at her or speak to her the same as before. But now I just want to pause briefly here for us again. For us to briefly have a reflection before returning to the baby to be born. But look at verse 45 with me for our own reflections. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill His promises to her. Now look at this verse carefully. Elizabeth did not say, Blessed is she if she believes. Brother Elizabeth said this of Mary, Blessed is she who has believed. If the earlier passage of Annunciation showed us what humble obedience is through the words of Mary, this passage of visitation shows us what trusting faith is in the proclamation of Elizabeth. That Mary again stood as one who believes not just intellectually, but one who believes with action. And Mary's belief in God's word caused her to entrust her whole life ahead to what God had promised to her. In fact, this principle words of Elizabeth is true for all of us. Blessed are we who have believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises. You know what? The Bible tells us that all who repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God will have our sins forgiven. Do we believe that? Do we actually leave that out? And also the Bible tells us all who believe in Jesus, Jesus will come back and one day He will bring us back to His own heavenly kingdom. Do we believe that and do our lives reflect that we are kingdom people and not worldly people? So here Mary stands again as a challenge to all who claims to believe in Jesus that we not only believe intellectually, perhaps on a Sunday, but we will actually entrust our whole lives and every moment to God and to live for Him as Mary did. You know, this is the beauty about faith in action. There's a, there's a chapter in the Bible that portrays this really beautifully. Uh, if, if you know the passage of faith, it's from Hebrews 11. I just want to read two verses to you to see how people, these people, because they have faith, they lift it up, that the Bible gave them a title or expression that no one else has ever had. Let me read this to you from Hebrews 11. Because of their faith, these people, they, put, they were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two, they were killed by sword, they went by sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. 
And then the Bible says this about them. The world was not worthy of them. Those who have their faith put in action, the Bible gave them this. The world is not worthy of them. These are the blessed who too believe that the Lord will fulfill His promises to them. And they live it out. And the Bible says the world is not worthy for them. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. So as you journey through today's passage and realize the historical amazement of how Jesus, the Son of God, is to be ushered in our world, let us also reflect how we are about to respond to Jesus and His Word. Do we have a humble obedience to God's Word in the Bible? Do we have a faith in Jesus that is more than intellectual, but is evidenced out in our lives? So let this kind of two questions be a reflective um, two, two reflective questions for a week ahead as Christmas draws nearer than ever. So now as the birth of Jesus was announced by an angel with a name, as the birth of Jesus is evidenced by the miraculous of a barren old woman, as the baby John, the son of the godly priest, has his destiny, destiny set to be forerunner of Jesus himself, Mary now begins to sink out of an overflowing heart of joy. And her song is meant to turn us away from her and Elizabeth to the God who is behind all of this. So now let us look at the last segment of today's passage from 46 to 55. This is the song of Mary that is famously known as the Magnificat. And the focus of this song is on God who shows mercy and grace to Mary, to those who fear Him, and underlying all to Abraham and all the descendants of Abraham eternally. So look at this beautiful Magnificat with me. Now in response to what God has done, Mary began her song exalting God in her soul, rejoicing in God in her spirit. Question, why does Mary do that? Because God looks upon the humble state of Mary. You know, God could have chosen a princess, could have chosen the chief priest's daughter, could have chosen the politically, the intellectually, the, the financially, the spiritual elites. Find one of the, the famous women to bear this child. But no, God went to the spiritually un, unnoticed um, Nazareth, choose a virgin and a common girl, not even sure if she's educated, and she will bear the child of salvation. And nobody, she will give birth to one who will save everybody. Look at verse 49. She says this, The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. In fact, this song reveals the glorious character of God. Look at the character of God from verses 15, 50 onwards. Verse 50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. So not only did God lavish this mercy on Mary, God will extend His mercy to all who fear Him in every generation. And what better way for God to do that than to send His own Son, born amongst the humbled, to reach out to those who knew they are unworthy, they desperately need forgiveness, and they have no idea how to reach out to God. What better way than for God to send His own Son to the humble and He reach out to those who fear Him. 
and who do not know Him. This is the way of the mighty, holy, and merciful God. And you know what? This will be the way the Son of God will be when He is born. He will behave in the same way as His Father. And notice how Mary could make such a deep theological truth in verse 50. It's a very deep theological truth in verse 50. Look at it again. That God's mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Do, do you know what that actually means? That actually means that we are actually included in God's extension of mercy. That we too, right now here in this generation, can receive the mercy of God because He stretches His mercy from generations to generations. That God would have mercy even of us if we fear Him, if we recognize our unworthiness and we realize that we desperately need forgiveness and we desperately need Him. So how does the young and perhaps uneducated Mary make such a deep theological truth? You know what she does? She looks back at history and how God has always been because history will actually refuse the future. The character of God in history will reveal the character of God in the future because it doesn't change. So speaking of the past, Mary calls this in verse 51 to 53. Let me just look at this briefly with us. Mary said this, God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know what? To the proud who cannot hide their thoughts from God, to the rulers who feel that they are entitled to do anything because they have a throne, and to the rich who think they can have anything they want without God, Mary reminded us, God will scatter them, God will bring them down, God will send them away empty. But for those people who are humble, who are hungry, God will not break them further. Instead, God will lift them up and fill them with good things. What kind of good things will God give the humble and hungry? He will provide them more than just spiritual uh, material needs. He will provide them the spiritual needs of their hunger. So that's what God has done in the past, and this will exactly be what the Son of God will do when He comes into this world. And the world will soon hear Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, which we have just looked recently, that Jesus will say, just as His Father would, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The humble will receive the kingdom of heaven. The hungry, the spiritual hungry, will be spiritually filled. So the Son of God will extend the mercy of His Father to the world the way that the Father has always been. So while the world is still kind of sleepy and asleep, God is preparing to reveal Himself fully to the world through that Christmas child, to fully extend His mercy to those who fear Him and to reveal Himself to the world the only way that is possible, that His Son come and reveal the character of His Father. Now the question is, why would God even want to do all this for us, for you, for me, to extend His mercy by sending His Son to the world? And the reason is this, Mary sang it for us, the reason is this, that God never forgets 
what He promised. God never forgets what He promised. And when the sun comes, He too will never forget what He promised. So look at what God has promised in the last two verses for today. Verse 54, 55. God has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. So God remembers His promise to extend mercy to Abraham and to the children of Abraham. This is why God will send His own Son who will extend the mercy to the world and reveals the character of God. And the Bible goes on to tell us that who are the children of Abraham? They're not just the Jews, but they're all who, like Mary, trust that God keeps His promise. This is what the Bible tells us, those who are children of Abraham. In Galatians 3, let me just read this short two verses for us. Abraham believed God. He was credited to him as righteousness. Understand this then, that those who have faith are children of God. Those who trust like Mary that God keeps His promise, the Bible tells us these are the children of God. And these are the people that God remembers. And that's why He extends His mercy by sending His Son to do the impossible. So as Mary sang the song about God, it's really sung to help us to understand some very deep truth about God's character and actually to prepare us to meet God's Son. And, and to help us to be like Mary, to be humble in obedience and to have a living faith. So in this magnificent, we can recognize God is indeed merciful to the humble. He, is, he will also be wrathful to the proud. And God is one who keeps His promise. And Jesus, the Son of God, when He appears, He will keep His promise. And if He says that He will come back, He will come back. So as Mary stayed with Elizabeth through the time for John to be born, and as Mary herself prepares for the birth of her child Jesus, heaven will soon break in to our world with the birth of the promised Son of God. And when this Son arrives, He will start to reveal God to the world. He will start to proclaim the words of His Father, and He will fulfill all the promises God had made to His creation. So Jesus will come, He will extend the offer of mercy to all of us. But the question for us as I close this is, are we ready for Him to come? Will we be ready to receive Jesus? Do we have a heart that actually fears God? Are we willing to respond in humble obedience and a living faith? So as Christmas approaches, seven days from now, I think this week will be an excellent time for us to take stock of our lives, to reflect on our own heart, whether we have been prepared for the Lord all this time, whether we have been humble in obedience, whether we actually live out what we profess. So let this week be a great time for us to reflect um, even before uh, 31st of December arrives. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.